Hello, and welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Kim Mirazimi, Three Pillars Vice President of our technology portfolio. Today, we're sitting down with a dynamic woman leading a dynamic company doing incredibly relevant work in the tech space, Jennifer Bisegli. Jennifer is the CEO and founder of Interos, a supply chain management company that developed powerful artificial intelligence tools, which empower companies to quickly identify and respond to rapid changes in their supply chains. Instead of endless spreadsheets, Interos provides clients with a live global visualization of their supply chains, making it that much easier to protect and improve them. We're eager to get her perspective on everything from cybersecurity and modern logistical challenges to what makes a successful leader to women in technology and Interos's recent funding event where they raised a whopping $100 million in investment. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Jennifer, there are companies around the world who operate in the supply chain management space. What separates Interos from the pack? And can you tell us what exactly the SaaS platform is and what it can do that other platforms can't or don't? Sure. So most solutions today are only going to give you insight to the tier one suppliers or the suppliers that you know you're doing business with because you give them a check or you receive a good from them. And they also only look at like a handful of risk factors. So they may just look at cyber risk or they may just look at financial risk. The last thing that a lot of platforms do today is they look at point in time surveys, which is, you know, I've been in this industry for well over 20 years. And, you know, we've always, when you onboard a new supplier, you give them some sort of a survey to fill out. And then once a year, you may check in with them again, but it's very point in time. It's normally annual. And I always say it's aspirational at best because whoever's answering is either answering with what they know or they what they want you to know. And so Interos is actually an operational resilience platform. It's dynamic and it's continuous. And we're providing that real-time transparency and visibility into multiple tiers of your supply chain. So when we talk about tiers, it's proximity. So your supplier is a tier one, their supplier is a tier two, and so on. And then multiple types of risk factors. So in addition to cyber and financial, we look at restricted countries and companies. We look at operational types of risk. And our last one is a very big focus for executives around the world around ethical sort. So we've launched an operational resilience, dynamic, continuous monitoring, and very comprehensive risk platform that's getting used um, by a lot of executives around the world. On that note, Jennifer, one of the biggest, most visible impacts of the pandemic was the massive disruption of supply chains across the globe. We've all seen the huge numbers in terms of declines in shipments and product shortages across countless industries. That can be really hard to visualize. How can we better visualize that data? And what does that show about just how major these disruptions have been globally? Yeah, it's a really great question, Kim. And there's a couple things here to unpack. One is that you know, we really focus on visualizing that information in multiple ways because most organizations are trying to answer multiple questions at the same time. And so one might be looking at manufacturers within a physical supply chain or those companies that are building things for each other to understand how they're experiencing operational disruption, which we all heard a lot about. The biggest news story that happened during COVID was when Apple came out and said they were going to miss their earnings. And then we all heard about the interruption to the supply chain for the vaccine. So we actually look at 
showing our customers heat maps of where there are different pinch points in their supply chain. Our biggest heat map, as you can imagine, 15 months ago, was showing where COVID activity was happening across the supply chain. Unfortunately, we live in a world that that actually became kind of you know useless very, very quickly because COVID was an overlay for the whole world and we're still... But really understanding and visualizing those, those pinch points was one area. The other thing is, is if you're really only looking for what's immediately affecting you like a pinch point, then you're kind of too late. And so we actually visualize leading indicators. So, and we track and we trend across those. So if we can understand where companies are hitting walls because of limited critical infrastructure or little, uh, limited supply, can we show instability and help our customers preempt before it actually stops their operation? And that's really what we're trying to get ahead of. We actually just completed a survey a few months ago with a thousand executives and they actually were able to share with us that on average, supply chain disruptions, not only is it considered quote unquote expensive, but they actually quantified it to about $184 million a year. So that's actually you know numbers that your CEO and your board really care about. And oh, by the way, I've shared with everybody, my mother actually knows what I do for a living for the first time ever, because if we think about how disruptions in the supply chain um, have really bubbled to the forefront for all of us, it became really personal the last year and a half, right? We couldn't get paper towels and toilet paper. And just recently here in the States, we couldn't get gas in our cars. And so companies around the world are realizing that impacts to their supply chain, not only is it dollar-wise expensive, but brand and reputationally, they're feeling it to the numbers of 83 to 85% of the respondents in the survey. So it's, it's kind of the hard in, uh, expensive aspects from a dollar amount. It's also that soft brand and reputation. And my personal belief has always been, and it's played out on the world stage the last year and a half, that the companies that are going to recover well coming out of the last year and a half are those that can stand up in front of their business partners, their consumers, their shareholders and say, look, we all experience this as a globe, right? You can't hide that, but you can trust in me and you can partner with me because this is how I'm investing in my supply chain and this is where I can provide that transparency and how we're working through true operational resilience. And those make the best business partners for Enteros as well. And so on that note, you know, talking about the supply chain disruptions, have you found that Enteros' AI tools have helped companies fare better in terms of that supply chain disruption throughout the pandemic? Or have they been more aware of these disruptions yet unable to take action to resolve them? Where would you say it falls? Yeah, it's a really great question, Jen. And I think it's in a couple places. I think one is that our customers are able to answer questions that they could never answer before. Right. And so this used to be, as I mentioned, very survey, Excel spreadsheet driven. This was very laborious, very people intensive. And by leveraging the true power of artificial intelligence and treating the global supply chain like a big data problem, we've enabled our customers to have C-suite and board level conversations, which again, in part of our survey that I just shared with you, uh, showed that companies are talking about the supply chain and the health of their supply chain up to twice a month, which in my 
entire career has never happened before. And so we've, we've enabled our customers to answer questions for their CEO, answer questions to the street in a way that they've never been able to do before. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, yes, there is this awareness, but the awareness is, interestingly enough, as I mentioned in, when we started this, is not just with the supplier that they know. The awareness is in the supplier or the connection that they didn't even know they had. And so what we're able to do is really change how the world is doing business by allowing them to get ahead using data to make better informed decisions and let them get ahead of any sort of preempted disruption so that you know they can continue to operate and continue to provide good services and products to their customer base. Great segue, Jennifer. And when I think of risk intelligence and what we've been discussing thus far, I always come to cyber. I always think of cyber. And we all know cybersecurity has been in the news a lot recently from attacks on oil pipelines to a $600 million cryptocurrency heist. Do you believe that companies and governments are taking these threats seriously enough? Or are we going to see more attacks like this before they start making cybersecurity a top priority in that risk platform and that risk assessment? Yeah, I think without a doubt, we are in the midst of a big shift in understanding. And you see it at multiple levels. You see it here in the States with the executive orders coming out of the White House, really focused on early information sharing when companies have any sort of ransomware or any sort of breach. You have executives within companies that are being uh, switched out to make sure that you have cybersecurity executives and people that are really understanding it in the C-suite as well as on the board. And so I think there's been a real understanding that this is a skill set and it's an understanding and it's an impact to the business bottom line. And it's really a business problem that needs to be invested in and paid attention to. I think the other thing that we're seeing is back to the concept of supply chain is that infrequently, is it just the company that was attacked that or felt the breach that was actually at the target? There's a real understanding of the need to see down into your supply chain for those extended business relationships. Because from a proximity standpoint, it might be your third or fourth tier supplier that gets the breach that could have a ripple effect to you. And that's a real big change that we're seeing in, in the market. As we move into the needs of, of different industries and how technology is solving some of these challenges, how artificial intelligence and, and various other forms of technology are solving these challenges, it is true that the tech industry is largely male-dominated, particularly at the executive and the C-suite level. And as a female founder and C-suite leader, have you needed to address or overcome any obstacles or challenges in your career? And if so, are there any lessons learned that could be helpful to current or next generation of not only women leaders, but leaders in general? Yeah, and I love how you phrased the end of that question. It's really leaders in general. And I, I think, you know, we all have a different path. I actually, through you know, my investors had two conversations earlier today with different CEOs trying to figure out their path on fundraising. And it's not a judgment thing. Everybody figures it out differently. You know, I've had a 17-year education <laughs> to get us to where we are today. And I, I don't know in hindsight, when I was in it, I would have traded it maybe. But in hindsight, I wouldn't have traded a thing because we got to learn a lot. We got to partner a lot. Interestingly enough, 
I'm running into people today that I hadn't talked to for five or 10 years. You know, so the world is a very, very small place. And I think that, you know, some of the things that I hear now that uh, I did, I guess the right way that got us to where we are today, that I wouldn't have thought about while I was going through it is we were really focused. And I think from a lessons learned standpoint, not getting shiny penny syndrome, not trying to be everything to everybody, but really being singularly focused on this problem of global supply chain risk was probably the best thing I could have done. I'll be honest, my first five years, as I mentioned, this is a 17-year journey. My first five years, I I share this a lot, actually. I was having a drink with somebody and they were like, really? So this was like 2010-ish. Really? You want to bank your whole company on this concept of supply chain risk? And I said, yes. And as a small business, I could do that, right? Because I didn't have to answer to anybody. I didn't have a board of directors. I didn't take in money. We bootstrapped for 14 years. And you know, really just understood having cut my eye teeth, if you will, in this market of global supply chain and watching us becoming global. And like, you know, there's really a problem here that we don't know who we're doing business with and whether that's a good or a bad thing and just never lost it. And so everything we did, every employee that we hired, every technology we, we developed and iteration on the technology, every customer we took on, it was all around this problem set. And I think that was probably the best thing that we could have done. And what that actually allowed us to do is build up an, an incredible intellectual property moat that now has us in a winner-takes-all position that it's going to be really hard for anybody to take over the position in the market. And that's also what made us so attractive at the valuation we just received. So I think understanding the problem you're trying to solve and never losing that focus is really what made it happen for us. There's lots of ways to do this. And when I say this, it's become you know a company that, that takes on investment if that's what you're driving to do. None of that had anything to do with my gender. It just happened to be, you know, I had one good idea in life and this was it. <laughs> and I just didn't let it go. <laughs> so the, the cool thing is though, and you and I talked a little bit about this, is now that I've done it, I've, I've invested in entrepreneurs and specifically women entrepreneurs through my entire career. I didn't want to wait till I retired to do that. I wanted to do it along the way. And now that I've done this and now that I've gotten to our Series C and created a truly investable business, now I take it as part of my you know, responsibility as well as the fun to look back and help folks that you know, want to do the same thing. I'm a big believer that you can be what you can see. And another one of my conversations this morning on the way in, and as, as I was driving to the office, believe it or not, was with a woman trying to figure out whether she's going to keep her day job working for someone else or start her own thing. And so who can I connect her to and how can I help? You know, having the ability to do that now makes everything much more rewarding. Love it. Love it. Love the outlook and that it's everybody can do this. Such a great mindset, Jennifer. And so I'd be remiss if we didn't say congratulations to you. Interos just raised $100 million in a recent funding event. Outstanding. Can you share a little bit with us about that? Who invested and what does that kind of investment mean for the future and growth of the company? All the things that we've just been talking about. Yeah. So thank you. It's humbling and amazing. And if you ask me, did I know I was going to do this? The answer would be no. But you know, as I mentioned a minute ago, we're, we're in a winner-takes-all market. And so looking at how inexpensive cash is right now, and based on where I want this company to go, which is to truly 
be a business where people love to bring their referrals, their friends and family. We have people getting married here that are having kids and really investing their futures in. That brings me a lot of joy and pride. And so just making sure that we have a, you know, a, a profitable business that people can stand behind and reputationally our customers just really like working with us and like the technology we're developing. It made sense to be here today. I think from a from a raise standpoint, you know, we've had three incredible investors and we've actually done something that I, you know, four years ago said I'd never do, which is I never thought I needed funding. And then I took on my series A and then like, oh, I'll just do it with my series A. Then I took on my series B. So you kind of learn a little bit as you go. But you know, I took a very unique position, if you will, in that um, I had, as I mentioned, 17-year business, bootstrapped for 14 years, took on our first investment with Ted Schlein at Kleiner Perkins, and really built my board of directors around him. And part of that was because I had been doing this for so long, I didn't want to have a very large board of directors. I also wanted to make sure that I could stay focused. And so Ted has been a phenomenal mentor and friend over the years introduced us to our Series B, Nick Beim at Benrock, who added so much to the board and to me personally and my growth um, when he came in last year, right before the pandemic. And then through the network, met Dave DeWalt by reputation first, and then you know at the man himself. And Dave is an incredible visionary. He's an incredible operator. He's been a multiple time CEO, and he's a machine on go-to-market. And couldn't be happier to be working with his fund and his team on really figuring out now to how to take Interos Global, how to uh, work with partners in a way that enables us to grow and add value to a larger customer base faster and just the right thing. Because there's a lot of responsibility with evaluation of this size and taking on this much money. And so, and the leadership requirements from somebody in my position are very different than when I took on a Series A and a Series B. And so the last 24 months has been an incredible growth, not just for the company, but for me personally. And so making sure that Ted and Nick and Dave are locked arm in arm and that we can all stay focused together has been really important. So I think that's kind of a bit on the investment. As far as what we're doing with it, it's what all of your listeners would think we're doing with it. We're investing in the tech, we're investing in the customer experience. And because we are looking at this as a winner-takes-all market, we're very much investing in the thought leadership. And I think this also goes back to the last year and a half where the world, every country and every company in the world got educated that knowing their supply chain and who they're working with and where that's a, whether that's a good or a bad thing is paramount. Now they need to be given the answers, not just the technology, but the answers and the business strategy to make that happen. And thought leadership is really important for that. And I find it interesting that you mentioned, you know, keeping the board small, making sure that those board members are locked arm in arm with you, um, having an incredibly focused go-to-market strategy, uh, the winner takes all in this market and and where you're investing uh, those funds. So kudos to you and the team. And and we're really looking forward to seeing what else you you deliver and how you grow in the coming in the coming months and in the coming years. So congratulations. We have uh, what we call a speed round. These are these are uh, similar questions, the same questions that we ask of all of our guests. And just kind of first thing that comes to your mind, what is your favorite piece of technology? The ability to connect you very quickly with people. I don't like waiting around for anything. I don't stand in a line. My husband would tell you that. So, so the ability to reach out and talk to somebody very, very quickly is the best part of technology. 
<laughs> and is this something that you think you, that it, has that been a favorite your entire life and you were just waiting for technology to catch up with it? Yeah, I don't think I've waited very much for anything. So, um, and whether I made it happen myself or technology did it, you know, technology was the enabler. Um, absolutely. All right. So pull on the thread a little bit further on that, Jennifer. What is the app that you just cannot live without on your phone? Oh, this is embarrassing. So, so one, obviously, um, you know, text message, that's the first thing. The second, um, I have three. Can I have three? Is yeah. it used real quick? Um, so one is texting because I can get to people really, really quickly. Um, the second is I found the stupid like ball game that just allows me to do because I don't want to sit idle. So I have something to do in my free time. And the last, I just recently got addicted to audiobooks because I started running again. And I realized that I can't, you know, I don't read except for 3 a.m. in the morning when I wake up. And so now I have audiobooks as well, which I'm probably pretty late to the game on, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Always plenty of time for that. And new ones coming out all the time. There you go. That's what was your first interaction with or memory related to technology? Yeah. So I know I have the option to answer this honestly, but when you ask me that question, this will totally show my age. Do you remember that game? Well, you might not remember the game Pong. Yeah. Where, yes. That's totally important. I remember. <laughs> That's like my first memory. And I remember my dad being so excited because he brought home this game and it was these two little lines and they just went up and down. It was horrible. That was my first, uh, that was my first uh, memory. Isn't that embarrassing? So embarrassing. <laughs> not, not, when, not when you also remember it. <laughs> okay. I love to ask this question and I believe we're closing with this question for our session today. And this one, it hits so many different people. And in your leadership role, it becomes so poignant. When talking with other business leaders, as well as students and future leaders, our future leaders of America and in the world, what is one piece of advice that you found helpful or that you've learned throughout your career, early, recent, that might be helpful to someone else to learn and understand? It's a great question. And believe it or not, uh, it took me to year three of being in business to think this was okay. And this might be a female male thing, but it was the ability to ask for help and the ability that everybody wants to help. And it's a really weird thing. And it's counterintuitive as you're going out there and slogging through it and wanting to lead the market. But year one and two, I thought I had to know it all. I had to balance my own books. I had to do my own invoicing. I had to do all these crazy things as well as sell, as well as deliver. And um, we had a really humbling experience in year three where our uh, we were a government contractor. Our prime got aud audited. We got audited. We were on Excel spreadsheets. It was a 24-7 week-long experience. I lost $300,000. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And it's because I didn't know and I didn't ask. And right then, I started asking for help. And wow, not only was it a relief, but people come out of the woodwork to help you. And I think that it's something that, you know, classically, we all think we need to own it or be it. Um, and, you know, the whole fake it till you make it, which I'm a big believer in too. But asking for help was the best thing I could have done. And it's honestly why I'm here. And I do it every single day, whether it be mentors, my board, my investors, my teammates. Um, asking for help is the best thing I could have done. That's a beautiful way to to kind of wrap up our conversation today. But that asking for help piece is so important. I do think that as leaders, we forget that. And if we could 
share with others as you just did bringing that forward earlier in your career because it's okay. Not everyone is supposed to know how to do everything. And yet we come out of college or we come out of our first job or we take a first leadership role and, you're, and you think that you're supposed to know it all. Um, so thank you for reminding us and thank you for being so open and honest with our listeners about what you would recommend so that people can hold that close to them as they move through their leadership journey. Jennifer, it was such a pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, it was a real honor and, and so enjoyed it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you both. Really enjoyed this. Enjoy speaking with your listeners and wish you guys all the best. You're doing important work. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. This has been great and uh, can't wait to get this out to everybody to listen in and learn. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com. Three